It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Are you using a password manager? This helpful tool not only keeps your password safe and accessible to you only, but it can be a huge benefit if and when something happens to you. So we'll explain what they are and how they work on this hour of the Wise Money Show. I, I was a resistor. Still sort of am a little bit like not fully in, but I'm mostly there. And I don't know where you're at on that spectrum. We're going to explain what it is, give you some suggestions and help you with all that right now. If you have a question for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000 online, wisemoneyshow.com. And then all of our social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show, connect with us there as well. I'm going to start with a story, and it's personal, it's real, happened to me. Uh, you may have a similar story, or you've, I'm sure, had this concern. And so uh, this is several years ago. My father-in-law started showing some signs of diminished capacities, forgetful. In fact, when it finally stood out, he and my wife would, um, my wife was a ballet dancer, and so they would do this dance together, and and a part of a performance with a with a group and he couldn't remember the steps and he got very flustered and then all of a sudden he started not remembering what he was supposed to do to his job and we finally you know encouraged him to get things checked out doctor at first said oh no you're fine you're just getting older you're fine but six months later and repeat stories and lots of worry and it was confirmed he had early onset alzheimer's mm -hmm. and it's very hard um, but we at least had that warning. And, you know, at first, if you haven't dealt with that, at first you're in denial. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm mostly still there. And I am just a little forgetful. I'm getting older, whatever. But very quickly it transitioned to he can't care for himself or really be responsible for lots of things. Well, here's the thing, guys. He managed all the finances in the household. Mm -hmm. He managed all of it. And I remember when he gave me a... A, a printout of a spreadsheet and it was very it was hard to read and there was wrinkled corners you know and uh and then it was there were handwritten notes on it something was crossed off and a little note there that i couldn't make sense and you know what i'm talking about that that spreadsheet was all of the passwords all of the accounts where they were and and the passwords and i'll tell you as we went through that awful time uh, he passed uh, just about a year and a half ago and I've helped my mother-in-law manage the finances really for the past five, six years, something like that, like in detail, not just as a CFP, but in detail. Um, about a third of those passwords were right. Hmm. And about two thirds were wrong or not even helpful. So while that gave me some sort of clue and a little bit of access, um, there, it wasn't nearly enough. Mm -hmm. And there was still lots of time, lots of tears from my mother-in-law and a lot of me just saying, no, I got this. I'll, I'll figure this out, making calls. And okay, you, you know, you're, you're about to get a, a text with a password or a passcode, send it over to me. Let's do this, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if you've ever gone through that before, or if you've thought about that, if you're the primary person that manages the finances in your household, is there a whole bunch of information that is really like 
access to your financial life that only you know. And if you weren't able to provide that access to open that gate, your family finances would crumble or, or would, would no longer be able to continue. Well, the solution to that is something that Kevin really and, and some folks that uh, some advisors at KFG that he works really closely with have really been innovating with and working with clients on, and that is helping with a password manager. So Kevin, let's start let's start there or wherever you want to take it. What is a password manager? How does it fit in your financial plan, right? Is this a financial mm-hmm. plan discussion? And then we'll get into more of it. So a password manager is a tool that you can use and and it's kind of confusing because it, that's a little bit of a generic term because you could say you could say tool? well tool is pretty generic. I mean, you could be a screwdriver, hammer. Right. Well, it, it, but but the, you could use the word password manager to describe that spreadsheet yeah. that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you could use it to describe, well, I use this browser and it when I put in my credit card, it says, do you want us to save your credit card information? And I say yes. And so, uh, uh, or you, um, there are a number of different ideas uh, in that spectrum. So the one that we'd like to talk about today is having an, one that you actually pay for. And I look at that and I, I think, oh man, what a great value. Because you can get these for, I don't know, three or four bucks a month. Or, and it's a, it's a little bit cheaper if you pay annually. And um, But what, what you have using a password, an actual password manager, not the yellow sticky note on, on the bottom of your computer monitor, but a, a, a digital password manager is you create a master password and then that gives you access to your password manager. And in that password manager, you can do a number of things. You can generate secure passwords. One of the big issues with passwords is people reuse their passwords. And never. Yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and so, of course they do because we can't, I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone what my password was for this various web. And the funny thing is, I don't know about you, but my mind always tells me, oh, no, create something really crafty. You'll remember it. <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, right. And I fall for it sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. So you can you can generate a secure password. You're not using the same ones because, again, think of your friends and you probably know their go-to passwords. Yep. You can think of your friends and what their go-to password is. So you have a generated password. And so for personally, I use LastPass. Uh, we use LastPass at our company. Um, we help a lot of our clients use LastPass. And is this a commercial for LastPass? Nope. Absolutely not. This is a, a commercial to say, hey, listen, when you're planning for your financial life, you want to have clarity and confidence and a lot of your finances these days are online and you want to have access to those, but you want to be careful about how you do it because you're not the only one who wants access to your finances <laughs> right. online, yeah. right? The bad guys want access to your finances online as well. And as I was telling you guys, on Sunday night, I'm laying in bed and I get an email uh, that says, hey, did you just try and sign into your Venmo account? And if you didn't, you need to go in and change your password. And I didn't 
go try to sign into my Venmo account. Now, thankfully, you didn't get your text either because I texted you and said, Kevin, don't don't worry about this notice you're about to get. I was just I'll, I'll explain later. So some somewhere, some some bot, some or, or bad person was trying to access my Venmo account. Now, thankfully, I had two factor authentication set up on that. So they couldn't get in, but I went in and looked at my password, and I'd set up Venmo um, a couple of years ago, and my password was weak sauce. I mean, it was just it was horrible. For, it, the, for those that literally guys, weak yeah, sauce. For those bad guys listening out there, uh, <laughs> I might start. Oh no, no, wait, that wait. One. I I'm like sorry. It was weak that. sauce one exclamation <laughs> point. Um, no, but I mean, it was a it was a horrible password, yeah. and it, it, it re it's been reused hundreds of times. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. So, um, and if you've ever you know gotten a video from someone or, or a, a, something on Facebook saying, hey, you're in this video, click on this link. Uh, you're not in the video, and you got to call Grandpa and tell him to change his password. Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, so LastPass is is one type. There's um, was it one password? There's there's Zoho Vault. There's all sorts of them. But I'm gonna I want to ask Kevin, and you're probably thinking this too. Well, how do you compare and contrast that with uh, the facial recognition of how Apple stores passwords or Google? Like, is that safe? Is that sufficient? Or is it something different? And then again, we've got to connect this to your financial plan and when and, and take this down to sort of a practical level. If something happens to you, how then does this help? So we've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Do you have a digital password manager, a, a way to safely and securely store all your passwords, but then also give a loved one, your spouse, access to that. So if they need it or something happens to you, they can continue to operate your finances. That's what we're helping you with right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard with me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check that out. Search the Wise Money Show. And uh, subscribe to it and rate the show when you're there. We appreciate that. Josh, you're here. I am. <laughs> okay, welcome. Are you going to let me talk? <laughs> I am. That's the question. Actually, okay, so let, let's <laughs> let's start. And you can you can add in some input. I know you were chomping at the bit, Kevin, and I just didn't give you an opportunity. But let's let's reset about password managers, how they are connected to your financial life, and how they work. Y- you know what? I, I'll give uh, credit to one of you, and I don't know which. Who came up with a phrase that your financial life needs to be decisionable? At all times. Oh, that was was that Kevin? Actually, Lori. It's Lori Corhorn. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, I love that. And it, it's true. That's part of the reason why we're always, you know, saying from these radio waves how important it is to have a financial plan and to have your life organized. And I'm going to add one more phrase. You, your life, yes, your financial life needs to be decisionable, but it also needs to be delegatable. Is that a word even? Sure. Um, you need to be able to pull other people into your life if you get conked on the head or you have a stroke or you have early onset Alzheimer's and you're the one who's been managing your own finances. Maybe you are the surviving spouse and it's your kids that might need to be stepping in, not just uh, your, uh, another loved one like your spouse. So the, the whole point here is, and, and this is relatively new uh, with our team, we've been coaching our clients to make sure that they have mechanisms in place, tools at their disposal to, to hand off things like passwords and 
online access and things because as you said in the in the last segment Kevin uh, your whole life is online these days mm-hmm. you, you really can't avoid it it's more and more a paperless society so someone stepping in uh, behind you to try to pick up the bill paying function for your financial life or the the tax preparation function whatever it may be they may not have the same tools that a prior generation had or the same clues at their disposal because there's not as much paper coming in by the mailman every single month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need to have this organized in a way, and it really is important, and it's tied in very closely to your, to your financial plan. And part of the way that you can not just have your financial life decisionable, but also delegatable. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so we talked about LastPass being one of the options. We're familiar with that. That's the one we have traditionally used at KFG. There's uh, 1Password, there's Zoho Vault, there's also Apple and Google. We're going to get to those in just a second. But Kevin, I want to pick back up. Yeah. Let's say you're using LastPass or some, one of these services. You create your master password, mm-hmm. and then once you log in there, you've got access to all of your passwords. So I'm assuming one major concern with this is, wait a second, so someone just needs to guess, some bot just needs to guess one password and they get access to all of mine, right? So is there two-factor authentication or how does it work to make sure that the vault is actually secure? Well, the you have, you're talking about the master password. Yeah, and then what happens, right, after, after that? So the there's a, it's amazing to me what the security is on with LastPass. So last week I was on a business trip. I took my computer with me and I went to log in. And usually LastPass, the the little thing up on the right-hand side, whatever that's called. Is, extension. Yeah, mm-hmm. the extension is red and it was grayed out. I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to re-enter LastPass. Well, and then I re-enter LastPass and I get an email that says, hey, listen, you, uh, someone is accessing your computer from this location. Mm-hmm. Is this you? So the, I, I think as far as having the master password locked down, um, it's, it should be fairly safe. Now, the, the big idea is with LastPass or 1Password or whatever you're using to manage your passwords, you should be the only one accessing this unless it's you and your wife. Yeah. But the sharing beyond that can be facilitated. So you might say, hey, listen, I want to share my Comcast password with my children. Well, I now have three adult children, so I've encouraged all of them to use LastPass. And LastPass has a, a sweet and easy sharing function. Right. Because I don't want to share my master password to LastPass with my children so they can find out <laughs> what the what the Wi-Fi password is at home or what the Comcast uh, password is. Sure. So I, I just want to share that particular password with them. And it's really, really easy, and I'm sure with other password managers as well, to just either email or text this uh, this password to them. Yeah. My master password is so secure that I can't, I can't for the life of me get Andrea to remember it. So <laughs> she's always asking me, how do I get into LastPass again? I'm like, okay, this is not working. Uh, I, I finally wrote it down in a secure place that only she would find. Yeah. But uh, 
that defeats the purpose right there, right? So so when you log into LastPass, something like that, there's going to be two-factor authentication you're going to set up. There's going to be, like Kevin mentioned, some sort of um, geo-mapping something to make sure, okay, based on your location where you're trying to log in, is this really you? An email like Kevin referred uh, to from Venmo, you know, that will happen if, hey, someone just tried to sign in from this, blah, blah, blah. So um, you can even have it set up where there's a dynamic authenticator authentic uh, authentic token that's randomly generated so it is it is stinking secure once you're in if you're and we would encourage you to to do what kevin shared and that is have a family plan or something like that where you the folks that you want to have access to some of the passwords some of the information have their own vault as well and they would have their own master password to get into that and then from your LastPass from your login, you can then efficiently and safely share certain passwords with them, certain usernames and passwords right into their vault. Okay. So some of them can be shared and you can choose, Hey, these, I don't want to share. Those are kept private, but then they'd have access to it. And like Josh said, you wouldn't need to share your master password with them because they'd have their own their own login, their right. own access. Right. Um, this can, can be on all of your different devices. So you can access from your phone from wherever. That's the paid version, I believe, is mm-hmm. uh, is being a- able to access it from anywhere. But other the free version is just one from one location. Right, so. and and likely depending on what your what your life is like and your your use of technology. But a lot of times people will have a laptop and a, a phone, and you probably want to have access to both of them because if you don't, you're probably going to try and take a shortcut. It, I'm just speaking from experience. When it was when I did not have LastPass on my cell phone and it wasn't easy to access all my passwords on my cell phone, I wanted to have passwords that I can remember. Well, I can't remember very sophisticated passwords. Yeah. So that's where once I finally went all in, full embrace of the the LastPass life, I'm now I have it on my uh, laptop. I have it on my phone. And I'm, I can use it. Well, then it's always with you as well, right? right. Well, we've mm-hmm. started asking all of our clients when they come to their financial planning meetings, we want them to bring their online logins, their credentials and everything with them because you never know when you're going to need to log into a site and make some changes within your 401k portfolio yeah. or access a, a bank balance or something like that. You want to have that stuff with you, but have it in a, a secure way. It, it still kind of blows my mind how many people are carrying around little books with their passwords written in them right. or pieces of paper or whatever. In their wallet. It's not safe. That's right. Yeah. And I even had one client recently say that they have it all in their phone, but he was referring to he's created a contact for each of these logins and then has all his passwords in there. <laughs> I and I was like, too. okay, you know how many different apps are trying to access your contacts all the time? I, I, I do want to hit that as well. Not that we're experts on what Apple and Google are doing, but I want to compare this to what they offer. And then just some other practical tips on, on how this fits within your estate plan, your overall financial plan. So we've got that and much more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. When's the last time you updated or reviewed your estate plan? Could be time for it right now. Password manager might be something you want to implement as you do that review. We're helping you with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at. 
We are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. We've been talking about the use of a password manager as a way to help facilitate the transition of you know accessing your financial life if something were to happen to you or really just to facilitate life at, at, at times where you would have a digital secure password vault okay and your spouse or your loved ones or the individual that you would want to assist would have their own as well and then you can securely share passwords with them so that if something happened to you or they needed to access something they'd be able to do so um so let's uh, let's let's compare and contrast that, Kevin. During some bonus content on the break, we were talking about well, how do you compare that to you know what Google offers, what Apple offers? Um, I, what what thoughts would you share as someone says, oh yeah, I've got that on my phone. All my stuff is just stored right there. Well, if you have it on your phone, you have an iPhone. The ability to go across platforms is challenging. So if for some reason you didn't have access to your phone and you had for instance, a PC at work. Now you you're you're kind of stuck, right? Versus having a third party uh, where it it can it it's accessible across all platforms and it's easily added as a browser extension or as an app on your phone. Yeah. So you, you you've got the app on your phone, the browser extension. You're in business now. As we mentioned during the break, you definitely want to make sure that you're turning it off because if the browser extension is up and you're logged in and you walk away from your computer and you don't have you know great snooze rules for your uh, computer um, you, you've got a problem potentially because yeah. someone can walk in hop on your Amazon account and order something yeah and um, so and just a little life hack I, I showed one of the younger guys this uh, this week. You you hit the the Windows button and L and it locks your computer. Yeah, nice. So because he's like, oh, do Control Alt Delete and then <laughs> no, no 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 no. Here's here's my concern. You know the 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 Facebook identity stuff or the Facebook the the, the face record facial recognition. My goodness, it's easy for me to say on your iPhone is so easy, convenient. I actually try to set that up for a lot of things. The reason why I would still use a LastPass as opposed to just relying on that, yes, Kevin, for convenience. I mean, everything's on my phone, but what if I'm not working on my phone? What if I'm working on my my home computer or something like that, and I'll, I don't, it's inconvenient for me to get my passwords. But also, I've got three young kids, and those kids have friends. And when we're driving to practice or whatever, they want my phone because they want to play music, or they, you know, or if if we're trying to have a parent conversation, grown up conversation, and they want to look something up, they'll just, hey, can I borrow your phone? Because our kids don't have phones. And so if it if all of that is accessible right there, it's all accessible right there mm-hmm. to them. And, and, you know, above and beyond all of this, we're talking about the need to to share your passwords with with the right person. Yeah, we're we mean the right person, yeah. right? Not not everyone, not everyone in your family. Like this would be selective to someone that that would be carrying on your financial life if you suddenly passed away or were unable to do so. You don't want to share it with everyone, right? That that's sort of the point. And so, um, and then ju- the whole thing with Google and Google storing passwords. Just I know Google and Apple, big huge names, so lots of dollars spent on security. 
they've also had some famously hacked stories, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so I'm assuming and, they've buffed that up, but it just does concern I mean, they, me. Yeah, I mean, they would never deplatform anyone, though. They never censor anyone. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, you're not at risk of that at all as long as you think the way they do. And so, I, you know, you can, you can take the risk because if you look at that, if we've learned anything in the last few years, um, it's a risk to be on a platform with someone that you might not ideologically align with. Yeah. Yep. So hopefully this got you at least turned on to the idea of using a password manager as part of your overall estate plan, contingency planning, um, and risk management. Now, if you haven't reviewed your overall estate plan recently, now's the time. You don't need to do it every single year or every month or every quarter like you might be due with your 401k or some or some other areas of your financial life. But estate planning is one of the six areas of your financial life. Therefore, decisions you make in other areas or as life evolves, it's going to impact this this area, the, the, your estate plan. So why like what else would you want to review or why else is it important to review your estate plan every so often well you were just alluding to the fact earlier that when you're setting up your estate plan you're kind of choosing who is it that you're going to trust to step in and act on your behalf if you can't or if you're gone Uh, so this might be having a power of attorney in place uh, who's who has the authorization to transact business on your behalf have you equipped them is kind of the theme of this whole whole show, That's right. right? But sometimes the, the person that you would select, they pass away or, you know, maybe there's a falling out with someone in the family that you would have trusted in the past. And, you know, sometimes those roles need to be replaced or the, the people that you would leave money behind to. Uh, you know, we, we often think of an estate plan as m- most people think of the will as the central piece of that. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that, but uh, the will is... Who, who are the beneficiaries going to be of the leftover stuff at the end of your life? Mm-hmm. And sometimes those wishes can change as well. Not because you just got in an argument with someone, yeah, but, but right. because a new family member was born yeah. or, or some other life change. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, and I'll just tell you right now, my father-in-law was listed as the guardian of our kids if something happened to us well beyond the time he was diagnosed. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. these sorts of things change. And even someone that's aware, we didn't just jump on it and change it because it's sort of confusing. You don't want to think about it. Life's busy. You're in the whirlwind, blah, blah, blah. Still in denial. But those are the sorts of things where you've got to regularly every couple of years, two or three years, look at your estate plan. See, should we be changing anyone listed in here? Well, and not just that, but also your financial life is constantly changing as well. There are new accounts that get opened, and sometimes maybe you've in a in a rush, you've set up a new investment account, and you didn't get all the beneficiaries lined up and consistent with your overall estate plan. It's good periodically, at least every couple of years, to do an audit of who do you have named as beneficiaries on all of your accounts, and make sure that the things that you put in place actually got put in place. Just yesterday, I was meeting with a client who his mom passed away and he's dealing with the estate and everything. They have signed paperwork saying that they put the right beneficiaries in place on all the accounts, but the custodian didn't update it. Mm. And now it's a little bit of a battle and, and mm. tug of war on who, who's going to win on this. Yeah. So thankfully, they have copies of it all. But you know, you, you may have gone through all the right steps in the past, but not every change actually took, potentially. I had a... Uh client passed away last year and everything was in her trust, all the accounts and everything else. And when I was working with the adult child, 
on transitioning and everything, he said, hey, mom ever tell you about uh, this account she had at the at the bank? I said, no, no. He's like, yeah, now I've got to open probate. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Mm. He's like, yeah, mom had some money at the bank, and she just assumed that it was put in the trust, and it wasn't. And it was just in her name, no beneficiary, and so now it cost thousands of dollars in expense simply because she assumed it was in the trust, and it, it wasn't. So that beneficiary review. And then speaking of trust, the other reason to review your estate plan every so often is some of the documents you need, some of the structure might change. Do you need a revocable living trust? Mm -hmm. Do you need something more complicated? Do you have the laws changed and your uh, healthcare power of attorney doesn't have the HIPAA authorization in it? So you might need a different structure. Work with your CFP, review your overall financial plan and confirm that it fits within all areas of your financial life. All right, we've got questions from fans of the show. That and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here, friends. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. If you're watching, you just got a blooper from me. There you go. It happens frequently, actually. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, and follow us there. I mean it. Follow us. Subscribe and, and turn on notifications because not only... Are you made aware every time we drop a new episode, full episode of the Wise Money Talk Show, you get all the other content as well that we create and post there. Some of our best thinking, latest thinking on helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. So go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, follow us there. On to listener questions. And honestly, most questions come through the YouTube channel, comments and whatnot. And uh, first one from Jonathan was submitted there as a couple months ago now, but does a person who takes a withdrawal on an inherited Roth IRA have to pay income tax on the distribution if the Roth IRA owner had the IRA for five years or more. I thought withdrawals on the inherited Roth were going to be tax-free. Yeah, so he, I mean, he's he's asking the question and then also saying, well, is it contingent if they had it for five years? Right. And and that's the key because, um, you know, we, we've talked on the show quite a bit pointing out that you need to have had your Roth IRA open for at least five years so that when you start making withdrawals, it's all tax free. And I, I think the question here is, well, what happens if the person who originally op owned that Roth IRA passes away either before or after the five year mark has been been reached? If the five-year mark is already passed, they owned it, it was open for five years, then it's fine. You know, you're, yeah. you're opening or you're uh, taking withdrawals from a Roth IRA. It's tax-free. Enjoy those dollars as a blessing in your life. If they had not already reached the five-year mark, you're going to want to wait until the five-year mark has been reached so that you can avoid that I penalty, assuming that it's, it's a consequential amount, yeah. right? If you pay taxes and... and you know, even a, a penalty or anything like that, uh, when you draw money out of a Roth IRA too early, it may be a small enough dollar amount in a big enough need that you don't care. But obviously, we prefer that you don't pay unnecessary taxes or unnecessary penalties. I, here's my guess, and I don't have the, uh, the code right in front of me, and I actually haven't dealt with this in person. Maybe Kevin can find it. I would assume that even if you pass away after owning it for 
less than five years, the person that inherits it would be able to draw the growth out tax-free. No? Mm-mm. Josh, you're saying you've gone through this or you, you the, found the, it? The five-year rule does apply still in an inherited Roth IRA. Interesting. But you have to get past that five-year mark well, and from when they opened it, not when you inherited it. Yeah. And you've got 10 years to withdraw the dollars. Right. And when you're talking about a Roth IRA with this new 10-year rule, you're going to want to delay that withdrawal as long as possible. Right, because you're going to want as much of that goodness as as you can get, which that goodness is that tax free growth. If someone opened the account and passed away within five years, uh, Josh, to your first point, probably not a lot of growth right. in there, right? And and obviously depends on what they're invested in, depends on the time frame, right? Because the S and P 500 could be the greatest investment ever during this period and be a terrible investment during another period, right? So it, it really it really just depends. But, but great question. I wonder, it certainly sounds like Jonathan's asking this because he's maybe experiencing it and he's a little surprised. The interesting thing is, like you said, he's referencing, well, if the original IRA account owner had the account for five years or more, I thought it was going to be tax-free. It is. Mm-hmm. It'd be tax free to them if they drew it out at fifty nine and a half and whatnot, and it'd be taxable or tax free to you. I, I read that last question though. I thought the withdrawals on an inherited Roth IRA would be tax free under all circumstances, all the time. Yeah, you know, it's just free to go. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they're in the Internal Revenue Code. There's all kinds of gotchas, right? All kinds of catches that you need to be aware of. These details. Work with your certified financial planner. I was telling you a story. Uh, of uh, some uh, of an individual that I'd served, our firm has served uh, for a long time, and she passed away last year working with the adult son. And when she passed away, like I said, left a trust account, but also an IRA and a Roth IRA, uh, we had done, we'd been doing Roth conversions all along. And so the IRA was smaller and based on on the children's tax bracket, said, cash this thing out right now, pay all the tax right now. The Roth IRA, we're not touching for 10 years. That 10, that I mean, something happens and we need to, great, but we're going to let that thing um, marinate inside that Roth IRA package and that tax sheltering for as long as possible, which we've got 10 years. That's great. Yeah, I initially wanted to argue with Joshua, but I think he's actually right this time. So <laughs> This time, every time. <laughs> Put it in the record books. Yeah, Call time. my wife. Quit. So the, the, Tell her. Look, there's the, so, so this five-year period it does have to be satisfied. From when you start it. So the moral of the story is start a Roth IRA. If you're listening to this, mm-hmm. go start a Roth IRA today. Yep. You know, and there are, there, are, there are life hacks to do that. Start it and max that thing out. You know, go, go well, your whole if career you, and yeah, if I you mean, can. If, if you can. If, because there, there are a number of people listening today that can't contribute to a Roth IRA because they're phased Income's out too high. income-wise. Mm-hmm. But you could convert, even if you converted 100 bucks and just left it in, in a cash account somewhere. Yeah, right. So, yeah. All right, so this is a, a piggyback question, similar one also posted on the YouTube channel. If you roll over your 401k to an IRA when switching jobs, which just did a uh, Next Why Step video on the top reasons why you'd probably consider doing that, what are those reasons? So, so go to YouTube and digest that content. Would this affect, so rolling your 401k to an IRA, would this affect your eligibility for a backdoor Roth IRA contribution with the pro rata rule? Does not affect your eligibility. Okay. Not at all. It would impact the tax 
ramifications of doing so and and you'd want to work with your CFP because it, it very well may mean you shouldn't do that. But go ahead, Kevin. I, I cut you off. Well, no, no, no. I was just saying this is a jargon-free zone, and that I mean that is that you know if if we are judging the gymnasts here, that's like a nine point eight in the complexity <laughs> score. Um, so, so I I want to read the question again and and interpret it for folks. Great. So I've got money in my four hundred one k. I roll it into an IRA, and so I'm assuming I have pre-tax money in my four hundred one k. Now I've got a pre-tax IRA. So call that a traditional IRA. If I have a traditional IRA and I want to then do a backdoor IRA where I contribute money into it and not deduct it. So now I have after-tax money that I've contributed to my IRA that I then want to move or convert to my Roth IRA. Does it Am I not eligible to do that strategy because now I've got pre-tax money in? That's the wrong word in the Correct. question, right? It's right. not a question of eligibility. You're allowed to do this this backdoor Roth contribution. The the catch though is that when you uh, make your contribution to your IRA and then you subsequently uh, convert it into the Roth, you're pulling just a little bit of your contribution and a whole bunch of dollars from your rollover and you're creating a much bigger taxable event. You thought it was gonna be tax-free, probably. That was your intention, and it's it's actually gonna be taxable because of that pro rata. But you're allowed to do it, you just might not want to. Right, so if I didn't have a, a traditional IRA, and I was just putting 7,000 in, not deducting it, and then converting it immediately, let's call that a backdoor Roth IRA, mm-hmm. that's fine. Once I take pre-tax money and put it into that traditional IRA, those pre-tax dollars participate in the conversion process, whether I want them to or not. Because I've had this situation where at the beginning of the year, a client didn't have any money in their traditional IRA. We did the backdoor Roth IRA, and towards the end of the year, they rolled money out of the 401k into their traditional IRA. Well, boom, we just made that money participate in the conversion process. Correct. Uh, Let me just tell you when that happened to a ton of folks, uh, the pandemic, when all of a sudden, you know, you you, life was going on as normal and you're doing your tax planning, blah, blah, blah. And then six months later, you switch jobs or you were let go. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, I guess I'm going to roll this 401k over to an IRA, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got this issue. So this is an example, though, of why we believe in financial planning and not making just blanket statements or blanket recommendations to people. For because sure. often our default is when someone leaves their employer, yeah, roll that money into a traditional IRA where you have more investment options, you take it with you. It's it's always at, at your fingertips, that sort of thing. But you might be boxing yourself out of this strategy of doing backdoor Roth uh, IRA contributions. So sometimes it makes sense to do that rollover. Sometimes it doesn't. It's your unique financial plan that determines the difference there. And and what if it depends on the size of the 401k that you're rolling over to the IRA? And again, yes, your tax bracket and whatever else. But what if you still, what if it still made sense to roll the 401k over to the IRA and then you convert that? Mm-hmm. And you know that part, that part's going to be taxable, but still, 
yeah, you're in the 22% tax bracket. And so you're comfortable with paying taxes at that rate and then having them in the Roth to grow tax-free forever. So uh, this is absolutely, yes, a 9.9 on the complexity score, but also very much and squarely a financial planning question. So. I give it a 9.8. 9.8? Do they, what <laughs> are they, they, do they average out the judges' scores? No, they drop they drop the highest and lowest and then average the rest, I think, is what it, what it is. But <laughs> anyway. All right. Really, really quick here. Um, another question on the YouTube channel. If we roll our traditional 401k to an IRA, is it a good idea to make our living trust the beneficiary? We don't have any kids. Want to divide any leftovers to our siblings on both sides? Um I would say yes and no. You you can do it, yes. Um, you've got to make sure that that trust isn't structured in a way that when those beneficiaries receive the dollars, that it instantly is going to be liquidated to them and all of the tax sheltering you, will be gone, right? Um, so a lot of times we hear people say that they want to add their trust or they've got a trust, they want to make it the beneficiary when that's not really necessary, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing here that you want to spread the leftovers to our siblings on both sides of the family, depending on your age and your siblings' age. Are they old enough where you could just list them as the beneficiary? I mean, you could divvy right. your divvy the account up and list a bunch of beneficiaries as opposed to having it go into the trust, making sure that that trust is a considered a qualified or conduit trust, whether the tax rules with trust has changed then or or are still okay, and then hoping that it gets to those heirs in a tax-efficient way. Or you could just make them the beneficiary. Yeah, there's a decision-making process here because, it, it, as I would say, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So, yes, you can make your revocable living trust the beneficiary of your IRA dollars. And to me, the decision process there is, do I like my siblings or not? <laughs> if, I, if I've never really liked my siblings in the first place, make your revocable living trust the beneficiary of your IRA dollars. <laughs> if you love them and you want their lives to be fairly simple and easy, then make them the beneficiaries, the direct beneficiaries. They have that money. They can eat. So they each have their own account now and they can do what they need to do. All right. Well, thanks for the questions. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Josh, in particular, your content in that first segment was, was, awesome. was breathtaking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for you guys to take a breath, actually. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.